Hello listeners, how are you doing? For those of you who don't know me, my name is Basim and I have been working behind the scenes for the past few episodes. What do you think so far? Have you been enjoying our recent content? I would love to hear your feedback. Otherwise, let's get straight into it. Welcome back to another episode of Wise Words. In this episode, special guest Yu Kai Chao joins us to discuss gamification of learning. Since beginning his gamified ventures in the early 2000s, Yu Kai has become a renowned pioneer in applying the elements of play to all walks of life. He is the developer of Octalysis Prime, a gamification framework created after more than 10 years of research. He is also the author of Actionable Gamification, a book which was published in 2015. Perhaps you're now thinking, well, what exactly is gamified learning? Or how do we apply gamification? These questions and more will be discussed shortly. So stick around. And as always, thank you for listening. Yukai, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. So I want to start this off with uh, perhaps a brief introduction on your part for the listeners who may not be aware of you and your work. Okay, so I started working in the field now known as gamification in 2003. And so it made me a earlier pioneer in that industry. So at the, at the time, I quit being a heavy gamer. And I thought, well, I spent thousands of, thousands of hours leveling up in the game, becoming stronger, getting better gear. But once I quit the game, I just lost everything. A part of my life just disappeared. So then I became a little empty and I thought, wouldn't it be great if I spent those thousands of hours learning a new language or playing the violin? You know, I'd actually be high level in real life, not just in the game. So that started a obsession into two topics. One was how to create games where the more hours you spend on it, the better your real life is. And the second was how to make uh, life in general more, uh, more fun. And so I started quite a few different uh, startup companies. My first one in Gamecation was 2005. Uh, had a lot of ups and downs, failures and some successes. I wrote a book uh, called Actionable Gamification. And I'm most known for creating this thing called Octalysis Framework, which uh, I think we'll uh, dig into a little bit. And I was rated a uh, number one game guru for a few places. And then nowadays I run two companies. One is called the Octalysis Group which is a consulting company. And we help a lot of uh, startups to big brands like Lego, Huawei, uh, Microsoft, eBay, uh, create compelling, engaging, and uh, gamified experiences. And the other company is called uh, Octalysis Prime, and that's a gamified education platform to basically learn everything I have to share uh, in a gamified uh, experience. So that's pretty much a a big summary of... uh, who I am and and where I came from. Okay, so regarding gamification, now my understanding of it is that you are incentivized through short-term goals that help you progress towards a main goal or a wider aim. Am I correct in thinking this or does it, as your books say, go beyond just leaderboards or points or badges? Yeah, I think the this definition gave out is a little bit one dimensional and you see some people when they think about gamification, that's all they think. But I I like to, well, first of all, the definition of gamification is applying uh, the exciting gameful designs into non gaming contexts. So things that are not 
more productive and more important, but kind of boring. And if you look at the raw word, right, to gamify, it's really to make more game-like. So the, the question is, what, what needs to happen to make something more game-like, right? And I do a lot of workshops uh, in the world over the years. And uh, one of the things I do is I ask them, think about, you know, one favorite game that you played in the past, if, if it's just computer games or even golf, whatever, and think about what makes that game so exciting. Like out of all the games out there, why do you choose this game? And no one ever tells me it's because they have points or badges or these game techniques. Uh, they will tell, they will say something, oh, there's a level of competition, there's strategy, do with their friends, it builds relationships, a lot of variety of things, but never those points or badges, right? So the key thing about gamification is really how, how do you make motivation and behavior more engaging like a game? So adding those components, adding a sense of accomplishment, adding a sense of autonomy, which is empowerment of creativity and feedback, adding more social influence relatedness, whether it's collaboration, competition, adding different surprises, right? Unpredictability and curiosity. So whether it's in surprising content and the experience or in the reward, those are the things that make a game really enjoyable. And those are the things we try to add into gamification. And like you said, it's not a short-term goal. It's usually, you can define it. You can try to gamify towards a very long-term goal that people do for three to 10 years. And you can define a short goal where you just want people to like in a single workshop to do certain behaviors. Now, I think the mistake most people make is they actually want to design long-term goals, uh, but they but the way the things they design are actually things that just motivate people to, let's say, a few weeks or two or three months, and then they lose interest. So that's a it's a big problem in, in most of the designs I've seen out there. It's very lazy, actually, lazy design. So judging by what you're saying, can I say that gamification? is something that could be limited to just digital forms of learning or can it be extended to offline scenarios? Yeah, it definitely can be an offline scenario. So it's almost like games itself. Like games could have be like World of Warcraft, which is you know a lot of technology, 3D graphics, but it could also be hide and seek, right? No technology, no graphics. It's just people keeping score and there's a game rule and it's still, you know, kids these days, they have World of Warcraft, but they still enjoy hide and seek. So, so the, the brain really doesn't care about how an experience is uh, delivered as much as whether there are these, what we call the eight core drives of motivation. So, and this happens with like virtual reality, like people say, oh, does virtual reality change everything? And the answer is no, right? It, it's, it usually adds a level of uh, novelty. So there's, again, what I talked about, unpredictable curiosity. They say, oh, it's so interesting and new, but you've probably seen the experience where people put on the headset for the VR stuff. And then after they're like, Oh, it's cool. And after like five, eight minutes, they just take it off and they say, yeah, that's, that's cool. I think I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Because there's no strategy. There's no, there's no gameplay in it. There's no core drives that are delivered. Um, and, and so there's a lot of game gamification solutions that are analog. That's like uh, you have a board game in a classroom or it's a post on the wall or sometimes a company policy. Again, at the end of the day, people just want to know, uh, number one, is there a sense of epic meaning and calling? Is there a sense of purpose or even a, a, a kind of a make-believe kind of playful, playful uh, context? Is there a sense of accomplishment and, uh, and development progress? Is there a sense of freedom and scarcity? So it's just, again, those eight core drives that, that are in the uh, Calysis framework. In my personal experience, uh, I think I've used a few gamified kind of apps 
throughout my life. Uh, most recently, I've been using this application called uh, Habitica, which is kind of this application where you have this party of characters from swordsmen and mages and everything, and they all go uh, questing with each other. And in order to support their quests, you need to complete certain real-life tasks. It's kind of like an entire gamified to-do list of sorts. Is that an example of what we're talking about here? Yeah. Uh, so Habitica is a good example, for sure, definitely, of a gamified to-do list and productivity app. I will say that it has some uh, challenges in its um, scaffolding and endgame phase. I, but I think out of the to-do list uh, out there, they're, they're doing it quite well. Maybe 60 70% of what I consider really good. Um, yeah, and you know, we can have a whole discussion on why I think. What could be better? What, how can the experience uh, be better in the endgame, especially for people to keep going on? Um, but I would say it sounds like you already experienced the, the party aspect of it. I think getting into a party, setting that up and onboarding is a little hard, but I would say don't quit Habitica until you've experienced that until you've got to level 10, you got to choose your different class and got some, some of your spells and then been a party. Then you kind of experience the, the full Habitica real experience. Uh, but then again, that experience from what I've, what I've seen, uh, tends to be more difficult to sustain after like has to say half a year but yeah that's i think it's a great example it's one of the better ones out there interesting that you mentioned the challenges of the application i feel like i stopped using it after a little while because i feel like i just started uh knowing uh, how to do things in real life without the application i didn't really feel like there's a need for it but before we get into the good and bad design choices of such applications, perhaps I should ask you, why should we incorporate gamification into learning? What are the incentives of it? So, again, I have a community called Calisys Prime, and there's, there are people paying a monthly subscription to learn the, the latest research from me. And it's interesting because it was surprising to me that half of the community are educators, are teachers, sometimes high school teachers on their own budgets. Um, and then the, re the other half are divided between academia, enterprise software, product management, and just, just all, all this different spectrum and, and finance and things like that. And, it was, uh, you know, and the reason why education likes gamification so much is because it's a very obvious intuitive to people that learning should be fun. You know, for other industries, they're still, you know, depending on who it is, they're still like, oh, but we're finance. We're so serious. Like, isn't it bad that people are having fun? Because then it's not like serious business. But I think most educators know learning through fun, through play is the best way. And if you look at kids who play, let's say, uh, card games like Magic the Gathering or Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh!, they actually have to memorize a lot of information, right? There's over a thousand cards and each card has two to six different numbers, like your health, your defense. And the kids who play this well, not only memorize every card and the numbers, they memorize things like your card counters, my card counters, his card. So if you think about it, that's actually more information than the periodic table. You know, it's like these kids memorize every single element on the periodic table, the exact position, exact weight, and exactly how uh, every single element interacts with every other element. It's just mind-blowingly amazing. But then you ask these, these kids that's like, oh, so what is the fourth element? They're like, oh, I don't know. I, oxygen, ox, uh, nitrogen, I have no clue. And it's not that they suddenly went from a uh, genius to an idiot. It's just one, they really had fun learning because they can learn that to play their game and come up with new strategies and beat their friends. 
the one, they just do it to, to make their parents happy, not get in trouble and get an acceptable grade. And really, it doesn't matter if you're an A student, B student, C student, you study hard enough to get your acceptable grade and then you stop and then you probably go and play games. Whereas for a game, you always strive for the, the best you can do. So I think just applying all these gaming principles into education learning is, uh, is crucial. I think, uh, especially nowadays in this time of age, uh, kids are so used to this dynamic feedback and having this higher meaning of saving the world, understanding their purpose. I think it's going to be harder and harder to, to teach them or engage anyone when you don't have that level of fun and, and playful uh, design in it. Okay, so and I can presume that you have conducted your own research on these claims about gamification. Sure, yeah, we we do tons of work with clients, and uh, yeah, if, if this stuff doesn't, if these claims don't work, I don't have a job. So how <laughs> I, often I don't, do I don't you? Just do this. I I have to actually create the solutions that work for them. Yeah, interesting. So how often do you achieve successful results over something that's not so successful? Yeah, I mean. Basically, when we actually design something and it's created, I mean, pretty much every single time the business metric increases massively. Now, so so like so that's if a company is very established, let's say they have twenty thousand users doing something, then we could get you know thirty five thousand users doing something, right? So it increases a lot. But I'd, I'd say the limitation is, let's say we work with a startup that has some kind of like. I don't know, nose picking app and they have 200 people doing it. And then we suddenly work with them. And now there's 800 doing it. like we, we, we quadrupled their, their, uh, their business metrics, which sounds like amazing, but they're not going to be successful with 800, right? They need like a million. So, you know, that's when the limitation comes in. What's, what's the actual model? What are they actually trying to get people to do? And, uh, and so that, that tends to uh, create limitations to, to where, but you know, for our clients, that's always, we've always increased the business metrics. And then sometimes we see things that are lost in translation. But yeah, I, there's there's never been a case where we're working with a client and they're just upset with that, with it. And and so, and uh, we didn't improve results. I think our work, in a sense, it's almost like telling people, hey, if you say please and thank you, more people will agree to your request. Now, not everyone will, but more people will now, right? Because you're polite. Um, if you just go around and say, give me this, give me this, give me this, most people won't listen to you. And, and so most people understand that concept, right? Being sincere and polite will get more motivation. Um, so our work is really just expanding that to a much greater degree. degree. So there's, you almost always get a, a very strong increase in, in, in your motivation goals when you apply the right type of core drives. And how often do you deal with clients who are involved in the education sector? Because I, it makes me wonder, to what extent is gamification being embraced by the sector as a whole, because it all sounds like great stuff. But I wonder in the current state of affairs, to what extent has it been embraced? I mean, if you think about, again, there's different core drives, right? If you think about the most basic form that a lot of people can relate to, it's they, you know, a lot of people talk about when they're younger, like small kids in school, they get these golden stars, right? And sometimes they get stuck on a calendar, right? And, and lots of people tell me, you know, that when they were younger, they worked, they were a problem student. They worked really, really hard to get those gold stars, and, you know, that's a, a simple core drive to development accomplished design. It's, it's like, it's not a technology solution. So any teacher can run it. So it's simple, right? Then you have uh, learning games, right? That classrooms use. There's some teachers that use uh, Monopoly as a way to teach students a lot of 
uh, things about statistics, about math, the decision-making negotiation, actually, because that's where a lot of the games played in uh, decision-making. And if you look at John Hunter's uh, World Peace game, so he's a friend of mine, but he has a good, really good TED Talk, is getting uh, fourth graders to uh, run countries, right? There's the politics, the, the army, the mining, the satellite, and, and they're just learning through that. So you s- the thing with the edu- that with depending on who you mean by education, I also have a lot, I do a lot of corporate education and training, but of course, like I work with Microsoft and they started getting us to work on a f- quite a few different projects afterwards. Um, but if you look at classrooms, then the, the challenge is this, right? The, the budget for a classroom is very low. And, and most teachers who want to do it, they don't have as much support from, uh, from the school administration or the school, let's say sometimes the principal wants, is a fan of mine, he wants to do something, but the teachers have has been teaching the same way for 20 years, so they don't want to change. Uh, but so the, the classroom setting, usually it's a, it's a very, uh, it's often a low barrier solution, right? If you can print out something, if you can play a video to make it happen, it does work. But most of the time, it's uh, it's it's always gonna it's usually low, lower budget, which I think is understandable for the education world. Perhaps we can now talk a little bit more about the Octalysis framework. Sure. So the Octalysis framework is something that I created. Uh, I published in 2012. So it came from a very deep research of exactly what makes a game engaging. Right. So we talked about. Just having game elements don't make game engaging. Right? Every game has game elements in them, but most games are boring so uh, and not successful. So what is what is special about the successful games? And so I, after this research, I created this framework. It's called the Octalysis because it's analysis based on the octagon shape. So it's like a, it's a blue octagon outside of a white octagon. And the, the unique thing about the octalysis is that it breaks down all motivation into what I call the eight core drives of motivation. So every single thing we do in life, inside or outside of game, is based on uh, one or more of these eight core drives, which means that if there's none of these eight core drives there, there's zero motivation. There's no behavior happens. So, and out of those eight core drives, there's different natures of core drive. There's what we call white hat motivation, so it makes people feel powerful and control. They feel good, but there's no sense of urgency. So, you know, people just procrastinate. Then there's uh, what we call black hat core drives. So it makes people feel um, addicted. They make people feel urgent, obsessed, even addicted. But in the long run, it leaves a bad taste in their mouths because they feel like they're not in control of their own behavior. So white hat motivation is good for long-term type of motivation, like loyalty programs, employee motivation, classroom setting, creativity. Um Whereas uh, black hat motivation is good for one-time transactions, trying to get people to pay credit, pay with their credit card, or short bursts of activity, right? It's a two-week competition or a one-day thing. It adds thrill, but if it's like a year-long competition, then most people don't want to be in a constant state of competing with their coworkers and and friends, and they usually burn out. So, so, uh, so that's white hat versus black hat, and then there's what we call left brain versus right brain core drives. So, which doesn't necessarily mean they're geographical on the left versus right of the head, but the left brain core drive symbolically represents the logical brain, um, whereas the right brain core drive symbolically deal with the um, with the emotional brain. So, the interesting thing about the left brain core drives is that it deals with what we call extrinsic motivation, things we do for reward, purpose, or a goal, but we don't necessarily enjoy the activity itself. So, once we obtain the reward, we hit our goals, or we get used to the reward, we stop doing the activity. But the right brain core drives deal with intrinsic motivation. So things that we just enjoy doing to the point that we're even willing to pay money to experience. 
And even if we lost all our progress the next day, we would still want to play that basketball game with our friend today or whatnot, just because we, you know, we want to be happy in our lives. So this is the, like the, the, the very high level, but it's important to understand when you're motivating student, let's say, what, what motivation is motivating them to actually do your desired behavior, like study more or learn? Is it is a white hat or black hat? Are they doing it because they want to become better versions of themselves or is it because they don't want to get in trouble, right? Is it intrinsic or extrinsic? Are they doing it just to get a good grade or is it because they actually want to learn, right? And, and the thing is that extrinsic motivation can in- kill intrinsic motivation. So there's lots of studies, Joe, if someone does something because they enjoy it, but now there's extrinsic motivation, like you get paid or you get a grade, suddenly people just want the reward. They don't care about the activity. So the moment the reward is gone, they no longer do the activity. So, you know, we are naturally curious, right? I think being curious is one of our most innate traits. We wouldn't want to keep asking why and learn things, but the school system really turns it all into extrinsic motivation. It's all about the grades, your future job, your, your college, your GPA, and so students, they just want to get a good grade and they don't really care about learning as much. And so even in Norway, where I, I, I did consulting for some universities there, you know, it's like, well, if students have this, if everyone has this innate desire to learn, wouldn't all of them be at the office hours, right? It's like, there's a brilliant professor is here to dedicate time to help me learn more. But most of the time when there's a person there's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm failing the class. I'd like some uh, extra credit if possible. Even the good students, the good students, uh, they'll say, "Hey, you know, I, you know, you graded my test wrong. I have a 97, but I should be get a 100, right?" It's it's very rarely you go to the professor to say, "I want to really learn more about this thing I'm majoring in." It's all about my grades and my 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 my, my stuff like that. And then I, you know, I talk a lot about also why you know tests are similar to boss fights, but people dread tests, but they like boss fights in a game and why they're different. So there's there's a lot of things that games are doing what education should be um, and be more effective, but education is just not doing, you know, how to turn, how to turn learning into more like a game. And I actually recommend you, because you mentioned Habitica, to check out Classcraft. I think out of all the platforms out there, Classcraft, Classcraft is one of the best platforms for a teacher to run in this classroom and, and, and get some kind of uh, experience going, gamified experience going. So if, you, if it's not on radar, I, I recommend you to check it out. It's for a classroom setting or is it similar to... Yeah, so it requires a teacher running the classroom, but if they're his showing the screen, uh, who that's running Classcraft. Okay, interesting. So do all these cores need to be included to make a gamified learning experience successful? No, you, you typically only, you only need one very strong core drive to create a behavior. And it's almost impossible to have all eight core drives in, in full strength. It's just an impossible design challenge. But then most of the time you think about two to four core drives to focus on, which is why this white hat, black hat, extrinsic is so important, right? Because if you can only pick, i say two to three core drives, it's very, very important for you to understand and recognize, are you going to use white hat core drives or black hat core drives or extrinsic and optimize for that? Um, and, and most people who hear this, yeah, I'm going to do white hat core drives, right? It's obvious. The problem with white hat core drive again is there's no urgency. So it's like, if people do this, they feel happy. That's what they want to do, but they just never end up doing it because white hat makes you fully in control and you can do whatever you want. And people procrastinate because there's all these other black hat things that have to deal with like deadlines, exclusive offers, what's on Instagram and Pinterest and Facebook, what's on Game of Thrones. And so 
they want to do the things that are white hat, which is about um, doing something bigger than yourself, you know, pursue your faith or changing the world or learning new skills. So if you do that, it makes you happy, but most of the time you end up just doing the black hat things and you, you lose some self-esteem. So, so it it's not the, ob- there's a balance. It's not just obviously, Oh yeah, just do white hat easy and dumb. It's really about what phase are you? Are you at the beginning of the experience? How do you attract them in? Well, maybe black hat, can get their attention, track their in, attract them in more. Maybe onboarding white hat makes them feel great about the program. So they're really excited, but then maybe they, uh, you know, maybe there's not enough uh, triggers on a daily basis. So like the moment they leave the program, there's all these other exciting things. So scaffolding phase, you bring back a little bit of white hat and, and black, black and white hat together to strike a balance. And then the end game, it's white hat again. So it's just really about picking the right core drive strategy at the right part of the experience that makes a great gamified experience. And in your eyes, you feel that this is something that video games have mastered. You know, when you get to a boss fight, that kind of strategy of engaging the player, keeping their attention and motivating them to get to the end. That's something that a lot of learning experiences can learn from. But in what way exactly? Like, what are we missing in the education system? Okay, so let's just go to the example of a boss fight, right? The boss fight, again, it's it's kind of like a test, right? And and this is technically what we call core drive two, development accomplishment. But the, the, there's a big difference, right? Like even people who are good at taking tests, they don't like to take tests, right? Um, and and the, there's a couple difference in the game. You tackle the boss when you're ready, right? You train, you train, you tackle the boss when you feel like in a lot of games, not all games, um, you're, you're more prepared. You go and challenge the boss. So it's a bit more white hat oriented. A test happens to you, right? It's, it doesn't matter if you're prepared or not. It just happens to you. And if you're not prepared, you get slaughtered by it. Number two, there's dire consequences, right? In a, in a boss, if you fail, you know, that's okay. It just means you haven't learned the skill yet and you need to practice more. You need to level up more and then you come back and challenge it again. But for a school, it's the opposite. It's, it's really the school has a conflict of interest. The school thinks that, oh, we're just here to help people learn, but they have to, to do two things. They, they help people learn, but they also label people, right? They have to say you're an A student, B student, C student because the next school up or the, or the, or the job, they want to see a GPA. So when you fail a test, like let's say you get a D, it's not going to say, all right, you didn't learn this well. Let's go back and learn it well and come back. It says, well, you got a D. All right, move on to the next chapter. You just got the stamp. You're a bad student and it's going to screw your whole life. So, so if you imagine if you, first of all, you play a game and the moment you lose to a boss or you play Super Mario and you, you die in Super Mario, now your whole, your whole life is screwed up, right? You're not going to be about, it's not going to be about learning. It's not going to be about, oh, like what's, what's, you know, why is this the answer? Let me go to the, the, the other pages, the page before and after to learn about the context. You're just really hoping that you remember this fact so that when you take a test, you can throw it back on a piece of paper, right? And so because of these kind of qualities, people really look forward to fighting a boss and it's very fun and exciting, but a test, they just hate it. They want to avoid it. And, and there's a practicality aspect, right? It's, it, you know, there's a whole classroom you can't really the class has to move on. There's agenda. You have a semester to do it. Uh, the teacher can, can like give a micro experience for everyone. But I think now with better technology, uh, with, with more game-like technology, you can actually create more personalized experience for each student and give them more time, like uh, on their own pace when they're ready, make sure they actually learn the material before they move on. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of that that can happen. The other thing is make things more, uh, less linear. So a lot of, 
And this goes into online learning too, especially MOOCs. It's all linear. It's you take this module and this module and this module, and then, yeah, you get a badge and then you take this one, you get a certificate. Whereas a game, there's a lot more meaningful choice of strategy, how you want to grow, how you want to evolve, how you want to equip your character. And, um, and so if you think about like Minecraft, right, people actually, kids have to learn a lot of things in Minecraft. Some people learn how electric circuits work. They, they, they learn how delayed gratification and planning can create great structures, right? And so there's all these things they actually have to learn. Um, and, but then you, you learn the same thing in class and then you just, the, the context, the way it's presented is just not interesting. I mean, one, one of my personal examples is in English class, they make me read something like some of the most famous novels and, and I hated it. And I always, you know, most, a lot of students don't read the book. They just read the cliff notes, right. To, to kind of like skip ahead. And as long as they can write the, the essay or answer the teacher's questions, they're happy. And it's like, Oh, we don't like to read it. But sometimes when I was, I remember I was on a stand, I reminded myself, wait a second, these books, they're not written for class textbooks. When they're written, they're written for entertainment, right. For fictional novels that, that just, make people addicted to it and they're attracted to it. And the ones that we read in class are the biggest one of the most entertaining and exciting, engaging pieces of literature ever written. But yet in a classroom setting, because of the stress, because of this extrinsic motivation, I need to constantly uh, emphasize because like, Oh, if you don't know this one thing in this book, you're going to get penalized for your whole, your whole life. No one, no one cares. No one finds, well, very few people finds the entertainment in that piece of work, it's all just a tool to survive uh, through. So, yeah, there's a lot of things. I mean, this is just more about core draft to development accomplish and a little bit of core draft three empowerment of creative feedback, but then this question about, okay, how do you add more, let's say core drive five social influence and relatedness in the form of how do you add more collaboration, which is white hat and how do you add more competition with black hat? Usually the best is having uh, group competition, right? So you might have seen classes where, the teacher gave you interesting projects to work on as a group, you present as a group, and maybe you even compete against other teams. Those are actually more interesting than memorizing a lot of information than re- spitting it back on a piece of paper, right? And it's interesting because our work is actually closer to game, right? Most of our work is not memorizing a lot of information, spitting on a piece of paper. Most of our work is like a game. You, you, have, a, you have a challenge, a goal, right? You have the obstacles before that and you have your current resources and you need to use your current resources to figure out how to overcome the obstacles and reach the goal. That's literally, again, what we do at work in, in, in most jobs. And that's what you do in games. But in school, it's just regurgit- just memorization, regurgitation. And of course, that's not interesting and fun. And that's why uh, most education systems are kind of... Uh, falling apart. And, and I say that in, in, I just made a video on Octavius Prime, you know, the cost of education, at least in the U S has increased four times, uh, in the past, I think 20, 30 years. And the question is, well, is it four times more valuable? And the answer is no, because number one, the unique value is lower, right? You can learn so many things online without being in the classroom now. Number two, the, the world is changing so quickly now where a lot of times you, you, you go through a degree, the moment you finish, it's already obsolete. Right? And it's about how do you adapt to new environments, how do you use, the, use knowledge in a creative way and be resourceful, finding the right things you need. And so I think the cost is growing exponentially, the value is decreasing dramatically year over year. So I think that the traditional education system has to be disrupted or else it's just falling apart. And in terms of disruption, you feel like gamification is disrupting it in the near or far future? 
You think it's happening right now? Like based on your experience with uh, your clients for the past few years, do you feel like there's something that has been game changing? Sorry for the pun, but... Yeah, I think it's uh, it's moving the right steps. So for any trend, right, it's awareness and recognition that it's valuable. That's the first step, right? And people trying and experimenting. Um, unfortunately, like, that's, that's the same thing for every innovation curve, right? A lot of experiments and let's say 80, 90% don't know what they're doing and they're just doing the wrong thing. And it, it's like, if you know the octiles from, you know, it's obviously going to fail. Like it's easily predictable, but they don't understand that, right? They think, oh, like doing the points and badges and that is really cool. And, you know, oh, my, my kids love it, et cetera. And so it must work. And so as, as a result, um, it just, it just doesn't work very well and it fails. And then, but there are sometimes, you know, five, 10% examples work, work well, work great. Some of them are invisible. People don't think of them as gamification, but they just made learning really, really fun. So but I, I think in the next five to 10 years, it's, it will be essential and it will be ingrained in, in the, it's just like computers in the old days, right? And teachers, a lot of times they don't want to learn, learn new technologies and methods. Again, they've been teaching the same way for 20 years. So the computer came out and most of them don't want to deal with the computer, right? It's like, why do I need to do this? Eventually, everyone teacher has to use a computer, right? Because if you don't have a computer, you can't do grades, you can't do the syllabus, you can't, you can't do anything. And they have to pick it up. I think gamification will eventually become more and more essential where at the beginning there's resistance, but later on it's like, well, if you don't do it, the students just just, they won't, they won't stand for it. They'll just revolt. They'll just misbehave and they won't learn. And you're going to be the only classroom in the school that has this problem. And, and I think that's, that's the time where they'll, they're, they're, they'll, they're forced to uh, really do things that are, are more for the, uh, the new world. Actually, I watched your Ted talk and I noticed that in the talk, you mentioned how a lot of gamified learning apps are, and not so well designed, but that was a few years ago. Can the same be said about educational products in the classroom today? Yeah, I think still there's a lot of gimmicky ones and it just depends on the goal, right? If you just want to make this one class today, okay, or you want to make this semester or or year long or your whole high school career or whatnot, uh, it depends on the goal. So that's important for understanding tools, right? You know, if you use a hammer as a screwdriver, it's going to be a, it's going to be a terrible, terrible tool. So it's to understand some, what the goals are, are that gamified solution is. I mean, I mentioned uh, mine, uh, Classcraft and Classcraft is again, a, a I, I personally think a very good solution, uh, a gamified solution that I enjoy. So that, that wasn't as prominent when I made, when I did the Ted talk, um, now, when I did the TED Talk, I talked about Dragon Box, which literally gets a lot of second graders to um, solve hundreds of algebra questions, which, which to me is, is pretty mind-blowing because algebra was hard in middle school and high school, so let alone for second graders. So that company that made Dragon Box, they made it. It's still, I think, one of the most innovative uh, solutions I've seen. And... Um, and then, and the company made a few others that I thought was very good. Usually, in math for different age age groups, there's something called a chem caper, which turns learning chemistry into like RPG game where your your the chemicals are your spell book, and you have to like learn how to uh, mix the right spells together or chemicals together to form the right effects. You know, a lot of those are really good. So I, I think again, 80, 90 percent of them are not are not so great, but 
they're slowly, slowly, we're still, we're seeing like occasionally a good one here, a good one there, and then it builds up. Perhaps on a final note, because we're running past uh, a little bit over time, but regarding the educational capacity of actual video games, you mentioned how uh, you used to be a really huge gamer, uh, now perhaps not so much, but... This may not be entirely related to what you focus on, but since you mentioned you you were a gamer, do you know anything about to what extent video games benefit our cognitive abilities? And I'm aware that there is plenty of research suggesting its ability to enhance response time. But is that the extent of its capabilities or what do you think about that? There's a lot of research on how, how games can help us, but it, it, it honestly just depends on what kind of game you're playing, right? Because... Games are a simulation. They're just practice, right? Just they're practicing a make-believe scenario. So some some games, like there was a there's an experiment that had people play. You know, half the group they played StarCraft, I believe, and the other half they played Sims. And they showed that the group that played StarCrafts uh, later after, like a week after the the experiment, thought more strategically and uh, or more organized in a more organized way. Whereas the people who played Sims, they were they had slightly better social skills. And they were more considerate. So it really just depends on what game you're playing. Um, they, they train different things. Uh, some games are all about reaction, right? How quickly you can, you can move your thumb to dodge the enemy attack and run to the side and attack the enemy instead. And that's, you know, reflexes. But there are some games that require strategy, some planning. If you look at a game like Portal, you know, Portal is a game about a lot of planning based on the laws of physics. And uh, yeah, people will get more familiar with understanding that so again it's it's really just a simulated uh, situation and training you in, in different things you also mentioned earlier about minecraft how it requires a lot of creativity in terms of creation but i've also noticed that there's an education edition of minecraft that's being used in, in the school in the classrooms what do you think of that yeah i think it's brilliant i think it's they already saw people are using minecraft for the educational reasons anyway it's like, well, let's let's specialize in that, or let's let's create something that's that's focused on it. And yeah, so I think it's it's great. Yeah, even if you look at things like uh, Khan Academy, right? The uh, the Khan Academy. There, I have friends who, let's say, they majored in history, and they said after they finished school, like, it's like, oh, I never have to take a math class again in my life. Right? They dreaded math, and suddenly they take Khan Academy, and there's there's obviously a lot, there's many gamified aspects too to it. And suddenly they, they're just learning all of that advanced math in, in Khan, Khan Academy. And so that's, and they're enjoying it just voluntarily just as their hobby. So it's, you know, stuff like that is just amazing, right? And wouldn't you want that in every single classroom? Okay, I think we'll end it here. Unless you want to provide some final remark or anything about gamification before we end this. I guess the last thing I'll talk about is just, remember I said a lot of learning is linear and there's no strategy. Uh, and so I'd say that because I mentioned my education platform, uh, Octalysis Prime, that is my full attempt to create a, a gamified learning experience uh, that has, again, what we call Core Drive 3, empowerment of creative and feedback. So that's on the right top of the Octagon, which is what we call Whitehead Intrinsic Motivation. So it's about giving people a strategy to grow and lock different power-ups. If you've ever played Mega Man, you know, you can choose the different stage to play to decide which which power ups you want to get to fight different bosses, and so it's still uh, it's still early in the product phase. It's probably only seventy percent of what I really want, but you know we 
you know, we see examples of, oh, I made, so I made 400 uh, videos on it already, like usually five, 10 minutes long. And you know, a lot of online learning courses, people say there's a problem with completion and you know, people just dropping out. I have a problem with a lot of members just finishing all the 400 videos and they're asking for more. So I'm creating more every week. And uh, someone in the community wrote, uh, published a strategy guide to how to, to how to play the game better, to learn more of, of, of gamification and all my stuff. So, so far it's, 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 uh, really, w- it's going well with my plans. And, and again, I, I look forward to get into a hundred percent of, of the vision. So r- again, right now there's a paywall, but in the near future, again, if you don't want to, if you don't want to play a near future, I think we're converting that to a freemium model. So anyone could just try it out for free. So I, I'd say if you're interested in education or in how at least I would design a gamified education experience, you can, uh, Check it out on Talos's Prime. Definitely, we'll check it out. I will leave a link in the description for all the listeners who are interested as well. Well, Yukai, it was a really interesting uh, discussion. I learned a lot about gamification. Uh, best of luck to you and look forward to working with you in the future. Great. Look forward to uh, collaborating with you more in the future too. A big thank you to Yukai Chow for participating in this episode all about gamification of learning. What did you think of the discussion? Do let us know by commenting on our social media channels. You can also send us an email, which you can find in the description. You can also find links to learn more about Yukai Chao, Octalysis Prime, and his book, Actionable Gamification. If you liked this episode, be sure to check out otherwise content on our website. See you next time.